Good day, cricket fans. This is the Cricket Ultras podcast. This is Arun Sudharman in Hong Kong, joined as always from Singapore by Darren Burns. Darren, how are you in the bubble? I'm doing very well in the bubble, Arun. Thank you so much for that blisteringly impressive intro. Good day. I think that's a new sign-on, isn't it? I figured it would uh, appeal to your Australian sensibilities. G'day, mate. I've done some research. G'day, listeners. Yeah, I've done some research. And meanwhile, also joining us in Hong Kong, also, is he known as The Rig? I'm not sure. Toby Doman. There's a long way to go before that. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Toby, you were talking before we came on air about uh, a new uncapped prospect in the England squad who apparently is known as The Rig. Tell us more. He is. And so it's Ollie Robinson, the Sussex bowler. He's tall, broad-shouldered, top of off, nipped it back a bit. Classic English yeoman. Possibly a bit, a bit unfair if I say that. But he's pretty, a bit quicker than that. But yeah, a good quote from him this week. I wouldn't necessarily smash a chocolate bar before a game, but I might have a bit afterwards, he says. And that's why he's a rig, because he looks after himself. So yeah, he's he's an uncapped player in England's 14-man squad for the uh, Southampton Test that starts today. Do you think he's got a giant dairy milk in his room? <laughs> didn't we, we talked about that giant dairy milk story before, didn't we? There was some. I think that was Stokes. Stokes was a, a big fan of smashing Cadbury's dairy milk. So maybe he's passed on his dairy milk in his absence this week. He sounds a bit like the new Neil Malander or someone, this guy. Big lad, moves the ball a little bit. Is he? I'm guessing he's not express pace? No, I don't think so. He's probably sort of sub, sub mid-80s, but he's metronomic rather than a sort of power bowler. So he, you can bowl long spells and he's accurate. So he's in contention, but let's see. Fantastic. Well, guys, what an amazing first test we had. A thrilling finish. Pakistan looked to be well and truly in the driving seat. England chasing 277 to win the first test and five down with, I think, what, more than 150 to get. But Wokes and Joss Butler seeing England home. Darren, your thoughts on uh, on that finish? Yeah, it was pretty sensational, wasn't it? I mean, you know, fourth day... You thought 277 might be a bit too much. And then when they were teetering at five for 110 or something like that, the pitch was playing all kinds of tricks. And the ball that got um, for Ollie Pope, you know, rearing up off a length, bouncing off his gloves, um, it looked like it was going to be done and dusted, didn't it? Pretty quickly. But to his credit, Chris Wokes came out with Butler and really changed the momentum. They, they took on the bowling from the word go. Uh, and it was really impressive to watch. It almost looked like it was a different test match. And you mentioned before we went on air, Headingley last year with, with Stokes, I think it was very similar you know, when Stokes started getting going in that chase against Australia, it looked like it was a different wicket. The bowlers kind of tired. I, I think the captaincy wasn't the best. Um, he didn't really rotate his bowlers very much. It was all a bit predictable. And um, yeah, England, great win from behind, you'd have to say. Yeah, Toby, how did you view it um, from your perspective? It was, it was a timely return to form with the bat, at least, by Joss Butler. Who needs Stokes when you have Wokes? <laughs> yeah, was, as Darren said, I agree. Great test test match to watch and a really good wicket as well at Old Trafford. It, it looked like it had snakes in it for a while. And Ollie Pope in particular got copped it on the on the hand, on the glove, I think, at some point. But it produced a great result and some good performances. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Stokes uh, or Wokes, take your pick. I think I was watching again, you remember The 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 Edge, this sort of documentary with it, you know, with looking at England's rise to world number one in the test the test world and, and propaganda oh well possibly possibly <laughs> um and i think andy flower 
said that after the sort of Monty Panesar Anderson sort of get out of jail in Cardiff episode, he said those are the little narrow sort of margins we were looking for. And I think this victory psychologically will give England a massive boost because coming from behind and I have to say, I think Pakistan looked very dangerous bowling side and, and, and to win, I think is a great, a great performance from them. I, I actually picked out a few performances from both sides, actually, which I thought, uh, Yasser Shah, I think as a bowler is extremely wily. He's really, really uh, quite broad shoulder. He gets lavish revolutions on it. Good turn on the pitch as well. And I just looked at his England record. Uh, he started playing England in 2015, so he's had, uh, I think, 14 matches. And he's taken 42 wickets with a best of six for 72. So he clearly likes bowling against England, and I don't think they've worked him out. Uh, he's quality. Um, I think Mohamed Abbas looked very slippery as well, really good control. Um, lots of batsmen with LBW candidates with him around, especially with a bit of early swing. So some really good performances, um, but England will be relieved to come out on top as they go into Southampton. Yeah, it's, the, the Pakistan bowling attack, you know, obviously they, they couldn't get the job done in the second innings, and we can talk about that. Um, but I think the other thing worth mentioning is um, Nasim Shah, uh, the, the, the youngster, was consistently faster than Jofra Archer, um, which has also raised some question marks about Archer's uh, place in the team. He's, he's been looking um, a little bit below his best. I mean, it, uh, certainly when you compare it to how, how he burst onto the scene, so there's some question marks about him. Apparently, Jimmy Anderson didn't have a good match in Old Trafford, but I, I thought he bowled pretty decently. But th- there's also some questions about whether uh, time, whether, whether time is running out for for what is he? Thirty-seven. Thirty-eight now. Thirty-eight. Wow. So before we get to Pakistan, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little about England. Is this um, is Joss, Joss Butler's place in the team secure now? Well, I, I was looking at all these other options that England had before the start of this test series, and obviously Johnny Bairstow was, was banished from the squad for whatever reason, and um, Folks is, is clearly the best glove man, and I think Butler, I think, has also had a difficult couple of weeks. I think he's had a family bereavement, uh, I believe. And so to, to come out and sort of bat with grit when he needed to, I think that was important for him. Uh, there's a difficult decision to be made, probably not in this series, but what do England do with the gloves? Um, on Butler's, Butler's day, he can be a destructive batsman, but is he a regular wicketkeeper batsman you can rely on? There's question marks there. Yeah, and and I think just with the glove work too, I think he missed a catch, missed a stumping, right? Maybe a run out as well. He's not the best gloveman in the world. I mean, if you looked at Mohammad Rizwan, he looked fantastic behind the behind the stumps. Um, he's a real gun keeper. Yeah, very tidy. Oh, I noticed as well, by the way, about the the atmosphere. Someone mentioned, I can't remember where I read this, but that that without the crowd. Uh, Pakistan made their own atmosphere. They're very noisy behind the wickets, and Butler's not a noisy keeper. Rizwan is, and so to hear the Pakistanis chirping and getting into it was great. And so there's a difference in this in both of their styles too. So Ben Stokes uh, will miss the next test. He's gone back to New Zealand for family reasons. Uh, Zach Crawley has come in. I think. Uh, are we expecting him to play? Yeah, I think so. I think. That the, the the conundrum England have is is obviously Stokes provides balance. I read a nice quote from Gideon Hayes. This is from the last Ashes series. He says, "Without Stokes, England are like a table with a length sawn off a single leg. No matter how you work on the other legs, the table will never quite be the same table again." So, yeah, not that pithy from Gideon as usual, but um, he makes a great point. And without that balance, it's difficult to see where you bring it in. Do you bring in Sam Curran, who can bring balance and ballast to the lower order? But for who, if you're dropping Bess, um, who I think Butler dropped a couple of him, 
Um, Anderson, I think, will play, which means really you're looking at rotating Archer. I think Wood is injured. Um, so I think you have to add Crawley to the lineup without Stokes's firepower there. Right. The other question marks, I guess, for England are, I mean, you did mention Dom Bess. Uh, he, he probably suffered in comparison to Yasser Shah, who, you know, is really a, a, a very fine uh, exponent of leg spin bowling. Is there any suggestion that Dom Bess, is, his place is under threat? I don't think so. I think um, England seems to be giving him a chance to to cement his position as the the premier spinner. I think uh, Jack Leach is also in the squad hasn't played uh, since New Zealand. I don't think so. He's clearly being given the nod ahead of Leach, but I th- I think Bess has looked tidy, but he's not looked like running through a side at any point. And when you compare to Shah, it's an unfair comparison because Shah at thirty four is a experienced campaigner. He's a very very wily bowler. And I think he's a world-class person. I think he was great to watch. And so Bess has got a lot to learn. Um, let's see. I think the pitch at Southampton does offer something for the spinners. It's been very hot in England in the last week. So it potentially is quite dry, which might uh, add a bit of spice if uh, the game goes into five days. A bit of drama with the uh, with the English pace bowlers. Jimmy Anderson has, has admitted to getting emotional about the, the dropped catch. Uh, in the match, and he's he's actually said that he's, uh, you know, he's definitely not going to reti- retire despite being frustrated with how he bowled at Old Trafford. And meanwhile, Stuart Broad was fined by his father for offensive language. Darren, yeah, that was great. Broad versus Broad. It, it reminded me just you know being back you know back, sort of backyard cricket, right? You know, dad finds finds his son for you know hitting the shed or something. <laughs> um, you know, he, I think he gave a bit of a old Yasser a bit of a send off. After Yasser took to him on the fourth morning, didn't he? What did he actually say? There was another little bit of spice between uh, Burns, I think, and and the whole Pakistan team. I didn't know if you, you knew in the background to that. I saw he was sort of shushing them after just, a, an unsuccessful shush, review, I mean, which doesn't seem a good time to shush people, does it? <laughs> <laughs> he shushed them after he got out, didn't he? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is weird. I think <laughs> Shouldn't it be the other way around? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But, but I mean, full credit to Pakistan. I mean, I thought they were really fired up in the field. Uh, they gave it everything. You know, some of the fielders like Shadab Khan and these guys running around the covers and the gully, they really were, were intense, I thought, the whole match. Uh, and they had the game, really, until that last that last partnership, really, didn't they? So unlucky, but, but it was good to see them. I suppose the question is whether you think Pakistan lost the game in the final innings or in their No, it's the batting innings. innings. Yeah, I think it's definitely the, back, the batting innings. Um, you know, after Shan Masood's one five six, which you know, honestly, he was a bit lucky, right? I think he was dropped and a misstumping on forty five twice, but he capitalised on that. And the second innings was very poor, wasn't it? I mean, they only needed to post two hundred plus, but they didn't manage to get there. So, yeah, a poor second innings performance. No, I'm just saying, don't take anything away from England. I mean, that that partnership of Wokes and Butler was majestic, and I mean, they really, really took the bowling on, and it worked. So you, sometimes you've got to give credit to the batting, the batting side, and I think that's one way you have to. I mean, I'm not sure what else they could have done. They just took it on, it worked, uh, and they won the match. I think there were definitely a couple of things Pakistan could have done. I mean, they, they didn't bowl short at Chris Wokes until he was well set, and I think Wokes' weakness against the short ball early in his innings is kind of well documented now, and it's like a clear plan that bowlers have against him. And you would think with this bowling attack, uh, Pakistan have the have the firepower to bowl short. And then they didn't bring in Yasir Shah after tea until 
quite well into the session. Um, and I think both Mizbah Ulhaq, the Pakistan coach, and, and Waka Yunus, the bowling coach, they both raised those issues, uh, which um, I'm sure Azad Ali, the Pakistan captain, is very happy about. I think it's important to note that Azad Ali isn't the most experienced captain out there. He hasn't been captaining Pakistan in Test for very long. And in particular, this was his first close match as a captain. Every match he has captained has been a kind of a, a landslide um, victory or defeat. Uh, and he, he did look a little bit out of options. Um, I think Pakistan, you know, it was a, really a golden opportunity for them to win a test match. And if there is one thing Pakistan is usually good at, it's defending totals um, with their bowling resources. So I suppose the question now is whether they can recover from this. Uh, for the next test, the um, the suggestion is that Shadab Khan will be dropped. He did not, I think he bowled 11 overs in the match, uh, which seemed kind of odd given he was there as the all-rounder. And he didn't seem to bowl especially well. He batted well, and he, of course he fielded well. Um, but there is a suggestion that he will be replaced by Fawad Alam, who is the, the 34-year-old left-hander, who I think many people were expecting to play in this match anyway. Um, I suspect that will be the only change. Uh, Mohammad Hafiz is not available for uh, for selection uh, because he has uh, he has burst the bubble. Um, he went to the the Rose Bowl golf course, which is connected to the hotel. They're allowed to go to the golf course, but he took a picture with a ninety plus year old lady. He re- revealed her age on social media. I'm not sure if. Uh, what a gentleman. If that was, uh, if that, yeah, what, exactly. Uh, he said, I met an inspirational young lady today morning at golf, at golf course. She is 90 plus and living her life healthy and happily, good, healthy routine. I mean, quite a sweet message, but uh, this yeah, was very apparently sweet. a clear breach. Clear breach of the social he, distancing rule. He, yeah, and, I think uh, what he did is breach the two meter distance rule. So I'm, I'm quite a surprise that the golf course is open to the public if if the players are allowed on the golf course. So it's a bit weird. It's a bit different Probably from Joffre's. Probably a members club, right? So I suspect yeah, but it's, it's, it's know, interesting. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know they let uh, caddies be 90 years old, actually. It's interesting to have a picture with your caddy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, misunderstanding. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm letting that go through the keeper. <laughs> yeah, straight. Short yeah, and wide. Straight, straight. <laughs> so... So anyway, Mohamed Hafiz is not available for some. Well, he, he wouldn't be playing anyway. He, he, he'll be in the um, limited over squad, right? Oh, right. Okay. So he's not even in the squad. I think the only other questions for Pakistan is really, will their batting perform as well? I think they maybe overperformed in the first test because much as I, I like Shan Masood, I think he's worked really hard in his batting. Uh, I'm not sure you can bank on him getting 150 uh, too often in these conditions. Uh, they really need Babur Azam to score big. I mean, he scored 69 in the first innings. It was frustrating. I thought he's, he's, he looked wonderful. When he bats well, he really looks like he's up there with uh, the big three or the big four or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but then he, he has this, this habit of getting out in the 70s. His test average is 45, which is good, but it's not great. Um, and then there's Nasim Shah. Will he be able to continue uh, bowling um, you know, at the same pace with the short turnaround? Um, Pakistan really need contributions as well from Azad Ali with the bat, 
from Abid Ali with the bat. I mean, just in general, <laughs> from, from their batting lineup. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's, it's you know, as a rally needs to put his hand up, so does Asad Shafiq as well. And if you're having Mohammed Rizwan at six and Shadab Khan at seven, you, you need those top five to fire, don't you really? Um, otherwise, they're not going to get anywhere. But just on Nassim Shah, I think he's one innings away from a fifer. He looks really good. People were comparing him to Den- Dennis Lilly. And he's got this lovely whippy action. And he really, these outswingers are beautiful to watch. So he's got the pace as well. So hopefully he's, he, he gets a five or gets a, you know, a bunch of wickets in this uh, next test because I think he's super exciting to watch. Yeah, if Nassim and Yasir Shah fire, you would think Pakistan, they've always got a fighting chance in any test match. I also like Shaheen Shah Afridi. I think he was a bit unlucky in that first test, but I think he bowled some good areas as well. So to me, it's really that batting lineup, isn't it? They've got to work that out. If they're going to have, like I said, Rizwan at six and Shadab Khan at seven, is that the right way to go? Or do they, as you said, do they bring in another batsman there in the top six? Yeah, well, I think I think Shadab Khan might be... I'm not sure there's much in it in terms of batting ability, but I think he might actually be in better form than Fawad Alam. But I, I think I'd the thinking keep... is that he's a better bowler, Fawad Alam. Yeah, Shadab Khan was a... I was impressed with his bowling in the first innings. And I think he bowled okay in the second, but they didn't give him much of a, a run. But I think He always I he looks good, good as a bowler, but he will give you a, a hit-me-ball every over, I think. You know, there was a couple of real short ones, I recall him bowling, and some, some full tosses as well. Toby, we have to talk about Joe Root, uh, because even though he, this is, what, his sixth test he's won in a row, he's now won 23 or 42 tests as captain. I don't really think there's any question marks about his captaincy now, but there are some big question marks about his batting. His average is, is in precipitous decline. He's no longer talked of as one of the big four. The joy seems to have gone out of his batting. Yeah, I think... Um... You're absolutely right. The big four possibly becomes the big three. And it's a classic, isn't it? I think captaincy makes makes either players even stronger. And I'm thinking Kane Williamson here. Uh, or it looks to be overly pressured and your batting suffers as a result. I think Root's average at, in tests now is 43 at the moment. Williamson, 54. Virat Kohli, 57. And Steve Smith, when he was uh, leaving Australia, at uh, 69. Um so you're right, his, his, his average is dropping. He looks a better tactician, but he's in it really for his batting originally. And, and the joy of seeing his little boyish grins when he's hit the boundary or um, you know, enjoying big scores and going big hasn't happened for a while. I think he underscored I think he, in the teens in the first innings in the last test and 42, a scratchy 42 in the second inning. So I'm sure he's feeling the pressure himself. Um I think the fact that Stokes as vice-captain helps him see things in the game that he maybe doesn't potentially papers over some of those tactical cracks. So without him in this test, it'd be interesting to see whether he feels the double pressure. Mm, indeed. Okay, so any predictions for... We haven't, we haven't made series predictions for this series, have we? Um, so I don't know if we want to now. There's How did we go in the last tests. series? I think I said to Neil... I said What did you one. say? I so you, you got it. Well done. Boom. Yeah. Our man in Madras. I think both of you said 2-0, right? Yeah, I, I think, think, I think so. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, a bit random. I would say for this one, I would actually say 2-0 to England. I think there'll be rain. I think there's been very, very yeah. 
very hot and they're expecting some storms in the next week or so. So they, they may be are. rain affected. So we could get a draw here. Yeah. So there's going to be two more tests at the Aegeus Bowl. Is that right? Both That's tests right, are there, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yes. I'm just going to say one all. Ooh. All right. I got a feeling. Well, let's see. At the very least, let's just hope it's as I'm feeling dangerous. As, as this <laughs> test match. <laughs> like, like Dom best, if not if not Daryl Sibley. Right. Dom Sibley. Let's... Even. Sorry, Daryl the Doms, the Doms are feeling dangerous. Isn't there a Daryl? There, there probably Darryl. is somewhere in the world. I thought there, I thought there was a Daryl in the England team. No. Anyway, moving on. There was another guy who was in the team. I didn't even realise he was there. He's been, he's been sent back to his county. What was his name? Lawrence? I think I think there's uh, fam- family issues with him as well, so he's been released. Lawrence of Olivier to be with his family. Right. What's his name? Do we know? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to put you on the spot. I think it's Dan. I think it's Dan Lawrence. Dan. Yes. Okay. Dan the man. Well, Dan, we hardly knew you. Let's hope he he returns at some point into into the setup, as they say. Okay, let's move over to let's jump to India or even the UAE where, Darren, the IPL is going to take place from, what is it, pretty soon, right? September 19th till November 10th. It's like a long time. It's a long tournament. It's been approved. Yeah, the BCCI has worked it out well, haven't they? The World Cup has been delayed from Australia this year to 2022. The BCCI has has the IPL happening this year. They'll have the T20 World Cup next year, which is still weird. I still don't understand why there was two in a row. Then they have the ODI World Cup. Uh, in 2023, and Australia will have the next T20 World Cup in 2022. So they've done pretty well. Um, there'll be a lot of prime time cricket action coming in India's way. I thought it was very interesting that during the week, Glenn Maxwell named his best IPL 11 of all time, uh, and include, he included himself at number five. I was going to say, I mean, if you're if you're if you've given yourself the nickname the Big Show, then uh, it's only natural that you would include yourself in. In uh, in your own team. Well, well, sorry, I'm a bit a bit ignorant of the, the IPL restart. It would, there won't be any crowd, will there? No, I don't think so. I don't think actually. I don't know about that because you think about it, there's going to be so many people. There's going to be so many hangers-on players, net bowlers, um, physios, and whatever. You know, what one team is taking twelve net bowlers. It, it's it's like CIA. You know, like they're taking these people who are net bowlers. Like, who are they really? Yeah. Right. And every team has got like 10 advisors, right? It's such a gravy train, yeah, IPL. We need to get <laughs> really some of that is. IPL money. Cricket Ultras yeah, needs to get some of that IPL money. Um, yeah, you're right. Speaking I, of money. I don't think... Yes. Oh, speaking of money. Okay, so the big story, of course. We're going to move into the realm of geopolitics, which is where Cricket Ultras is obviously at its, at its most comfy. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 our, it's, our com- it's our comfort zone. It's where we are at our best. Um Chinese smartphone maker Vivo has announced its withdrawal as the 2020 IPL title sponsor. Obviously, this is a result of India banning 57 Chinese apps or whatever amid rising geopolitical tensions. That is the the phrase, I think, that catches everything. Um, it's, a, it's a very big deal, as you can imagine. Uh, Vivo, weirdly, outbid Oppo which I think is 
the same company. I think Darren, you're it quite is. familiar with both of those brands. The same, the same holding company, BBK. Yeah. Are they both clients of yours, Darren? Are either they clients are not, of yours? No, they are not. They are not but they were clients at one of point. mine. No. Okay. Right. Um, good. They're clients of the group. So speak freely. In that, oh, clients <laughs> of the group. Okay. Yeah. So the, the deal was, uh, I'm going to give it to you in crawl because I know all our listeners are very familiar with crawl. The deal uh, was for 2,199 crawl over five years. Um, so that works out at 440 crawl per year. Uh, so it's about 300 million, Vivo. right? The whole deal. US. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty hefty. So the IPL now is looking for a replacement. Um, there is a couple of a couple of companies are apparently interested. I'm not sure they'll make as much money out of it, um, but uh, I hear I hear sure as a front runner. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I see overnight that uh, Reliance are in talks apparently with yeah. TikTok for Reliance, investment. Well, oh, so we, well, we're really going into geopolitics now. Um, <laughs> So in terms of the IPL, I think I heard Baiju, the company, yes. the Indian company Baiju is, is a front runner. The online learning company, right? Exactly, yeah. And one thing that's interesting is what will happen with Vivo's uh, sponsorship, because we're really in uncharted waters here. The, the suggestion is that it will be a one-year moratorium. So whoever sponsors the IPL, it will only be a one-year deal, um, which is be- which obviously is helpful. It means that the IPL only needs to find a, a sponsor for one year, but... I'm not convinced this situation will only last one year. Toby, what's your thoughts on whether this, this geopolitical morass we find ourselves in will last for another 12 months? <laughs> you don't need to answer that, Toby. Sorry. This is a, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think a lot of it depends on the big cricket lovers of the world in America. Obviously, they love cricket. So, you know, this could have a, a ripple effect. You know, the, the push-pull of China-US will obviously have an effect on, on cricket as well, bizarrely. And so I think there is, it, it is a lot of money sloshing around and, and I think it could reshape the uh, sort of sponsorship landscape from the sports marketing business potentially. So it is interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's true. And, and Darren, without, obviously without betraying any, any confidences, I mean, how disruptive is this for a, a brand or a company to have to pull its, you know, to pull its title sponsorship? Well, I, I don't know what the terms of the deal, deal are. Obviously, I don't know what those terms were. But I think, you know, if you look at what's happened, I think it kind of, you know, makes sense. You know, the, the, the IPL is not going to be hosted in India. There won't be those promotional opportunities inside India. A lot of hospitality happens around the sponsorship as well, right? You have VIP boosts. You can bring in customers. You can bring in media. Um, you can do on-the-ground activations. So all those things have kind of gone. But so you, what you have less is TV advertising, I suppose, uh, but you don't have any in-ground or experiential activation. And I think given the current climate, it kind of makes sense for Vivo, I suppose. I don't know if there was any pressure put on them either way. There, I do understand that there was also pressure inside India as well, right? I, I think having them as the title sponsor. So I'm not sure of the minutiae, but, but it, it's, not, it's not unsurprising, I wouldn't have thought. No, I think there was, there was quite a lot of pressure put on, on BCCI. I mean, from the public in particular, I guess, you know, ultimately, I don't think either side really had a lot of choice. But it will be interesting to see how this plays out, Toby. Like you said, there is a lot of, there is a lot of Chinese money in sport these days, whether that's sponsorship. I don't think there's, in cricket at least, there isn't really ownership money, but there's certainly sponsorship money. But if you look, yeah, if you look at the World Cup football, if you look at the Olympics, right, more and more Chinese sponsors as China rises, which is, is not to be unexpected, right? No. 
Um, I mean, do you think is is it is it as easy for for Viva was to to take their money to the to to the big bash or to the Caribbean Premier League or the PSL? Well, it depends what they're trying to activate in market, right? Are, are they if they're trying to, to sell in the in the Caribbean or Australia, then it makes sense. If not, then it doesn't make any sense at all, right? Right. So, so the key thing for them here is it's the Indian domestic market that they're after. Absolutely. And as you, you and I both know, in traveling to India, Oppo and, and, and Vivo dominate, whether it's outdoor advertising, TV, they're everywhere through India, or they have been previously anyway. Yeah, okay. All right. So that's really the big story in the IPL. I mean, there's, um, there's various subplots. I think there's, you know, COVID cases. Karan Naya has just recovered, apparently. Yeah. And I suspect we're going to see a lot more bubble talk and bubble yeah. breaches. I think the Royals fielding coach has tested positive for COVID-19. So these are, this is just, I guess, the the new normal. Um, yeah, I think it is. There's going to be a lot of breaches, you would imagine, uh, in the UAE it's with all those people around. It's going to be hard to control it. Um, yeah, let's see what happens. Okay. Well, moving on, I wondered if anyone had any particular views on the women's big bash uh clashing with um the indian women's ipl uh which is called the sorry the t20 challenge did any of you look did any of you follow this at all yeah i think it's a bit of a pity i think i think the the bbl really has a quite an international competition for women and i think it's the premier competition for women in the world i understand as far as payments go, but also as far as, you know, primetime television, as far as the mix of the teams, they tend to get the best players from around the world coming and playing in the women's big bash. So I guess it's a, it's a setback for Cricket Australia for sure. And, and for some of the players, I imagine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate for the Indian players because some of them have signed uh, WBBL contracts. You know, the, the big names have got contracts in the WBBL. No one really knows what that's going, what, what that means. I don't think there's been any comment from Sarav Ganguly about it when he unilaterally announced that the T20 challenge would take place during the Women's Big Bash. Um, there has been a lot of uh, feedback, let's say, from Australian cricketers on social media. Uh, Alyssa Healy tweeted, so during the WBBL, cool, good luck with it. Jess Jonison said that she had no words for this. But clearly she did. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rachel Haynes said, if true, it's a shame. Um, so let's see. I, I hope that the BCCI will reconsider. They don't really have to, to schedule this tournament at this time. Other business. Darren, I wanted to ask you about yes. the Masked Singer Australia. Are you familiar with this? Oh, God. I, I came across it last night. Shocking. Have you, have you already blocked it out? So, I have. I, it was something, when you see something, you can't get it back. Uh, I'm not familiar with the show. Um, I must say I'm not much of an officiate of kind of reality shows. But um, The Masked Singer has done very well, apparently, this season in Australia. And they unmasked him this week. And it was the finisher, Michael Bevan. Those of you from the 90s, I think, would remember Michael Bevan, the Australian player, was an amazing finisher in ODI cricket. And he apparently can sing. I mean, just to put it into context, it would be like if they had an equivalent show in the UK and, and suddenly Neil Fairbrother kind of appeared <laughs> on stage. You know, you, you, it's, I just can't get my head around it. What did Neil Fairbrother ever do? 
Exactly. I think it's more than that. Yeah, well, maybe more. But yeah, so he can sing. I mean, imagine imagine our surprise. that uh, We should have an episode on cricket singers. What was he singing, by the way, just out of interest? That's a great question. Should we have a look? I'll have a quick look now. They called him Hammerhead. I really have no idea. Oh, wow, he's lost a lot of hair. Yeah, why did they call him Hammerhead? That was his nickname, I guess, because he was wearing a Hammerhead mask, I suppose. Oh, it wasn't like his cricket nickname, Hammerhead. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that would would entail. Maybe it was. Could go in many directions, I feel, that one. It could. Anyway, singing cricketers. Obviously, I've got Henry Alonga, who is an opera singer and is very good. Uh, he, He actually sang once while commentating. It was, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Uh, there's another one, actually. There's uh, not a very good singer, but Mark Wood actually sang Jerusalem to uh, get England out onto the pitch, I think, in the first test against the West Indies over the tannoy system of the stadium with no one there. It was quite amusing. YouTube clip. Um, this masked singer is good, by the way. Mark Philippoussis was on it as well as a masked singer. So he's, he's pretty big deal. Pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. And Oh, he sung Working Class Men. By Jimmy Barnes, which is an Australian epic. On brand. And then he also brand, did Dua Lipa's Don't Start Now, which I don't know. Your, your kids are probably familiar with that. Uh, They're huge fans of Dua Lipa, actually. Yeah. So again, again he's, you know, he's, connect, he's connecting with the Gen Zs, right? <laughs> yeah, good for him. He's being relevant. Good for him. All right, what else do we have? Any quotes? Uh, Suresh Reiner's got a new tattoo. This is, uh, this <laughs> wow. is really, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. We are. So um, what, is, what is the tattoo? It's the name of his son. Can anyone tell me the name of his son? The rig? I have not. It's not MS. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. I think he's got another son. He's Ravinda? named Dr. Doni. <laughs> no, it's um, Rio. Oh, Rio. Yeah. Her name Rio. is Rio. Yeah, I think maybe, probably more likely it's a, the, the movie. Wasn't that a parrot? Ah, was that Rio yes, the parrot? of course it is. Yeah, Not the Duran Duran so song, of course. There you go. I've got a good quote. Anyone's got any quotes? From Rahul Dravid on academics. The wall. The wall. He said, I always equate my marks with my children's marks. They do much better than me but my wife expects them to equate them with her marks, which are pretty high. It's quite a complicated quote. It took me a while to kind of figure it oh, out. Oh, it sounds fun in the Dravid household, doesn't it? That's real. <laughs> Dinner table chat sounds hilarious, isn't it? He's, he's, a, he's a chill dad, Rahul Dravid. There's another one from Rahul Dravid I just came across. Very, very deep, this guy, isn't he? He says, you don't win or lose the games because of the 11 you select. You win or lose with what you, those 11 people do on the field. <laughs> I think I think it's very deep, yeah, isn't it? I think that's I think that's fair. And there's another one from Imran Khan: compromise for your dream, but never compromise on your dream. Hmm. I've got a good quote from Jawad Miandad. He has made a series of extraordinary comments about Imran Khan, uh, where he's basically said that Imran has ruined cricket. He released a video on his YouTube channel. He said, I want the people of Pakistan to rise. So it's good to see that Javed and Imran have, have really buried the hatchet since their <laughs> playing days. Really? 
He said, he said, I was your captain, not the other way around. I was the one who pulled your strings. You think no one other than you knows about cricket. You should start thinking about yourself and your surroundings. You should start thinking about the people you have kept in the PCB before it's too late. Too late for what? I can, f- I can feel him jabbing me in the chest with his finger as he delivers every syllable of that. It's, uh, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, I wonder if he was... Uh, I didn't watch the video, but uh, I wonder if he had bat in hand. Much like his uh, his famous uh, contretemps with... Is it Rod Marsh? Dennis Lilly? There's probably several. All right, cool. Let's go. I think we're done. I think we are done. All right, excellent. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, enjoy the cricket. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>